0: Good morning! This is Luke Gygax, president and founder of GaryCon, and you're listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. Welcome to Too Much Scrolling for March 21st, 2023. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hassenflug just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us hopefully they're important to you <laughs> and if you need more information there's so many great ways to find more information oh boy we get a lot of information talk at the end of the show today chip it's all about information and musicals film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. Hey, Chip, did you make it to the movie theater this week? I ended up seeing a movie, Steve. So what uh, fun action-adventure comedy did you catch this week? It's documentary week, Steve. (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay. What solid uh, forthright documentary did you see, Chip? I saw
1: Navalny, Steve. It won the Oscar for Best Documentary.
0: Okay. So Navalny, the Oscar-winning documentary... Is this a movie that you would recommend to our audience? Would
1: I recommend it? No. <laughs>
0: Although it won best uh
1: documentary for last for basically last year, twenty but it is the twenty twenty three Oscar winning best documentary. It's following a person who is a um uh a competitor to Vladimir Putin and the idea behind it is he was sent in exile. Because he will be arrested, because he is competing with uh, Putin for leadership in Russia. As you can imagine, what's going on in Ukraine has a little bit to do with this, but not really, because it's it's recorded before then. Uh, but but it's still in your mind the whole time you're 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 watching it. CNN is part of this. I'm sure they're very proud to have a an award winning documentary. But ultimately, I think that the story is about this person who the West would prefer to work with as opposed to Vladimir Putin. Um, He is a charming person. But as the story goes on, you just start realizing things. Um, One, he is willing to make deals with anybody, even Nazis, to be able to take over control over Russia. So it tells you that Russia is very different than many places in the West because Russia is, you know, they like a single leader, they want a person who is not a dictator, an elected official, but certainly for life type situation. Many times, and in addition to that, um, yeah, how, how, the, how would this play out with Navalny as the leader versus Putin? Maybe, maybe some deals get done that are, that don't get made with Putin because Putin's being uh, pretty much isolated at, at right now. The um, event. Starts off with an interview and say, hey, what if you're killed? Well, guess what? During the middle of this uh, documentary, he is poisoned. Mm-hmm. And uh, the terrifying part of this is that, hey, there are computer programs that can go in your phone to determine who your contacts are. And they determine the poison that was used for, against uh, Navalny to poison him came from a Russian company that makes sports drinks, just so you know. They don't make poison. But anyway, the poison comes from there. They determined the people who flew from Russia to the place where where Navalny was staying outside the country, and they were able to determine when or how the assassination attempt was sort of made. Mm. Um, And what did they do? Steve, they call him. Why not call these people who tried to kill him after he survived? Oh, my goodness. Uh, It does, uh, as you're watching it, it comes across very, very, obviously, as a propaganda piece. Okay. I don't think they wanted it to be a propaganda piece, but it does come across as sort of like, this is a good guy, Putin's a bad guy. I don't have any way of measuring Navalny versus the rest of the world. Mm. Other than, you know, better than Putin certainly doesn't seem like it would be a, you know, too big of a stretch. Uh, So I don't know what type of leader. He seems charming. His daughter attends Stanford University. Um, You get a very Western music. She's watching Rick and Morty. They're playing video games. There's little things in there to say, hey, we're part of the West. Russia has always tried to portray that. You know, they're kind of Eastern and Western at the same time. There's there's a whole bunch going on there. I say 50 out of 100. If you want to watch it, you certainly could. I, you get some, some ideas that there are people with dissenting opinions in Russia. He, uh, the, the ending of this is certainly not uh, unlikely. He arrives back in Russia. The police come to him. They arrest him, and they throw him into a prison. Oh, of course they do, Steve. He's a political prisoner. Mm -hmm. There you go. There's a movie.
0: So it has enough of a storyline to this documentary that it was interesting enough, but at the same time, you weren't sure about the truth of it, right? Well, yeah. And and, and
1: Navalny seems like a politician. Mm -hmm. He seems charming, seems nice, but I, I don't know how to... He's just better than Putin is really what it comes down to, and who we would prefer. When I say we, the West would prefer to having to Putin. You know, you don't realize all the safeties that we have in the United States with information. Now that being said, we're going to a little foreshadowing. We'll talk a little bit about that later in the program, but Mm -hmm. the point is, is that the truth can fare its way out. Well, in Russia, I don't even know if they know what is the truth or how they can get to the truth um, because it's just the the Internet's controlled, the, the media is controlled, the information is controlled. Uh, they're in a war with Ukraine. They, they're thinking they're, that they are um, taking what's theirs. Well, I'm sure the Ukrainians feel very different. Mm-hmm. And while this is not about Ukraine, you know what's going on around us. And certainly it's very interesting. Anyway, it's, it's playing right now. If you want to watch it, do so. Yep,
0: there you go. I have not seen a TV or a movie theater all week, my friend, because I have been producing our winter musical. This year we put on SpongeBob the Musical, which was just released for the middle school level in January. So we're one of the first schools in the world to put on this show. So let's uh, start our next segment: Adventures in a Black Box. Yes, we'll we'll skip the what did Steve watch and get to the Adventures in a Black Box. The thea- the theater chip. Steve, I the we we theater. always enjoy the theater. Yes, we do. SpongeBob. Oh, I see you're going to go see SpongeBob the Musical. Oh, which, which I'm sure is very highbrow, Steve. It is very lowbrow, my friend. This is a, a musical based on a cartoon, but at the same time, it is very much not the cartoon SpongeBob SquarePants. This is very much a Broadway musical. Tony Award winner in 2018. It had 12 Tony nominations, and it won one Tony Award. This is a very different musical. Very, very diverse in its musical talent.
1: Steve, tell me about the music.
0: 17 different music groups created all the songs for this show. Jonathan Colton, who you might know as kind of a novelty singer, kind of a folk singer. he He's a very diverse singer in and of himself. David Bowie and Brian Eno, the Plain White Tees, Panic, at the Disco, Cyndi Lauper, The Flaming Lips, Steven Tyler and Joe Perry from Aerosmith, Lady Antebellum, John Legend, They Might Be Giants. All of these musicians came together to make the music for this show. This makes a very, very diverse sound for this musical. Did they write original songs for the show? These are all original songs. This Broadway has an album there is a a list of music but from all of these very diverse musicians how interesting yeah it makes it difficult to put on a show when all of the music is so very different and all of the genres are so very very different learning this music took a long time for this show okay and I love it. I love putting on a musical. I love putting on this play, getting that moment where my 75 students come together to, to put together something, to make something happen. It's very stressful. It's very exhausting. But the kids at the end really learn so much about working together and finding a way to get past the impediments that make such a thing happen. So what's the story? Story of SpongeBob the musical is there's a volcano that's going to erupt in the town of Bikini Bottom and they have to find a way to solve the problem. And the question becomes, do we trust the science or do we trust the government? The government has their opinion of how to solve this problem, mostly uh, sheltering in place. And the science has their opinion of how they can fix this using some very high-level math in a cartoon form. So
1: so there's a, a volcano that's going to explode, and there's two prevailing strategies on how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so
0: this sounds very covid it's, it's very much a metaphor for our situation that happened in COVID, despite the fact that this was written in 2017 and published in 2018. It was very uh, ahead of its time, this musical. Maybe this will be one of those musicals that down the line will go, aha, we know something with, with the hindsight of perspective.
1: How interesting. Once mm-hmm. again, t- 2017 was when it was written uh, and you know, it certainly sounds very COVID. How is this story different than a Spongebob cartoon?
0: The Spongebob cartoon certainly is uh, more geared toward a childish storytelling, a very simple 20-minute concept. This is a Broadway show. This is a, a Broadway musical that is trying to tackle some larger themes than the general cartoon themes. Uh, We have the characters. They are really SpongeBob SquarePants and Patrick Starr. And then we get into conversations about fame and conversations about listening to each other and trusting each other and community. Some of those themes that may be in the cartoon to some degree, but they are highlighted for this more uh, family, maybe even more adult conversation about those things. That's
1: great. I mean, it sounds like the kids had a lot of fun, and you were able to put together a a, a fun musical, certainly with characters that they know.
0: Well, and that was one of the main conversations that we had, is is how knowledgeable are kids of this particular media, SpongeBob SquarePants. There's certainly some kids that know this character, know this program, but there are certainly a lot of kids that have been sheltered from the, the influence of the media in these cartoons. And there's lots of kids that did not know these characters. The good news is that with this musical, you don't really need to know these characters to understand this story. And the music drives this story and you don't really need to know these musicians to know the story but it does it is a real challenge this is a challenging show to put together because of all of the diversity well it has
1: to be that challenging you got the kids to do it my friend we got it that's
0: some leadership right there not to toot my own horn but i am very proud of what our adult leadership was able to bring together for this performance there were some it was a roller coaster this was a roller coaster production my friend there were some days where i am i was not sure that the director was going to come back the next day there were some days where this was very frustrating and the kids were very frustrated with some of the parts of this but then we got to the point where they knew what they were doing we got to the point where the kids were proud of what they were producing the art that was created the the students made coral for the bottom of the ocean and they spent so much time they made such beautiful pieces and they were so proud of what they did at the end the roller coaster was completely worth it. How wonderful! I love it. I love it. I look forward to our next production. I look forward to the next production being a classic title with a simple theme. I think the Music Man is is uh, <laughs> ready for twenty twenty four.
2: Book it. Book it. Book it. Book it. Book it. Book it.
0: Book it. Book it. Brings us to our Book It, our book of the week. Uh, hey, Chip, have you been reading this week?
1: I did do some reading. Um, I ended up getting, uh, I ended up wa- watching a video. And the video is about a couple of guys who take old comic books and they kind of break down the, not just the art and the writing of it, with the production of it and stuff like that. It's through Cartoon mm-hmm. KFAP. Very, very um, interesting series. And for anybody who has interest in it, if you like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they've got enough um, credibility that they got the original writer and artist together, and they're going through each issue with those people, and they're talking about the decisions they made to put it on. This is not that story. Our story is through Paul Chadwick, through a uh, group of short stories he put together back in the mid-80s. So our book is going to be Concrete, The Complete Short Stories, 1986 to 1989. It was produced in 1990, as far as put together. There, You can get this in other volumes now, too.
0: So this is Paul Chadwick, publishing under Dark Horse Comics. What is the story of Concrete? The
1: story concrete is a speechwriter from Washington has been abducted by aliens and thrown into this big golem type of guy, sort of a great big concrete man. The aliens used him ultimately as workers. And so he gets somehow escapes. And now you got this massive, I don't know, human who just basically has his brain and this massive body. He's Hmm. super strong. Doesn't tire, but truly could do whatever he needs to do. So this is about his relationship to the world around him. This is part of the realist uh, feeling, in the sense that what if this really happened? What if this big concrete guy showed up? His house has is you know you, you got to build uh, seats on uh, cinder blocks, and if you want to drive anywhere. The pickup truck has to arrive. He has to get in the back, but he can't just get in the back. He has to like crawl in the back because he'll destroy it because he weighs so much. Hmm. There's there's one short story where they're taking an airplane somewhere, a little small airplane, and he crawls, he has to fly on his belly, as in he's on the belly in the back of the airplane. And they say, Don't move too quickly. Why? Because you're in an airplane. You'll you'll throw the airplane around and you'll crash it. Okay. And, uh, anyway, it's it's it, there are a lot of fun little short stories. The the beginning one that uh, everyone is known one of I guess I don't know if it's award winning, but certainly it's the one that's mentioned a lot is uh, called Lifestyle of the Rich and Famous. And the story is uh, he's in California, by the way.
0: Okay. Um,
1: and Paul Chadwick works in the in real life. Works as a storyboard artist and uh, he's very into Hollywood. So there's a lot of Hollywood stuff going on. But anyway, somehow he gets roped in to go into a kid's birthday party. They're going to pay him a lot of money to show up at this birthday party because, you know, he's a great big concrete guy and little kids want to see this, you know, this monster of a guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he shows up and um, the mom uh, says, Hey, I just want to tell you that we have no money to pay you. We promised you money. We don't have any money to pay you. So Cockrey has a decision. He's got all these little kids there. He could just turn around and leave. But he decides to go to the party. He has a great time. The kids crawl over um, They, you know, they want to hang out with the big guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the final panel of this little short story, they're only like three or four pages each, is the mom saying, listen, I'm so sorry. I do this all the time. I wrote these celebrities into showing up, and I just, and when they show up, I tell them I don't have any money. He goes, You know, I'm really sorry about that. And, um, you know, um, Concrete says, Yeah, no problem. Uh, but you can see in the back of the uh, picture that uh, Concrete has taken the car and uh, the family car and put it on top of the garage. So, you know, there's going to be something, there's going to be a story afterwards.
0: So, this is a metaphor for our humanity, right? Looking at who we are based on this situation with this big concrete guy walking around.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's almost like your Sunday paper comics, but just expand it a little bit for these short stories. Later on, there is a 10 issue. The reason I got this, once again, was from Cartoon K-Fab doing a review of it. But I had read the first 10 issues in a binded book. I don't know, 30 years ago, and it, and it really is. He talks about ecology, the environment. So this is really a movement from, you know, we would talk about climate change now, but at the time, he's talking about trash in the ocean and oil in the ocean and and how we destroy our environment. You know, once again, he is a speechwriter for, I mean, in his real life before this happened, mm-hmm. for a congressperson. So, you know, there's a lot of politics involved here. It's not in this book, but, but Chadwick did was there was a running column in his book on basically a yay and nay about the environmental movement of the time. So once again, you're looking at it from a period of time and he put he picked one side uh, and, the, and then the other writer picked the other side about what it could mean. There's always this tug of war that you're playing. You know, if if every you know, we're reading a book now that people can join us about cobalt, um, and and one of the first things we're going to talk about is you know we're moving from one you know challenging thing, fossil fuels, mm-hmm. uh, to you know moving to batteries, and uh, are we okay with what it takes to get the cobalt out and what it takes to build those batteries? Well, those are this type of stories that um, concrete would kind of experiment with. What's it like to have relationships? How lonely is it? And when you go someplace, you destroy the spot. Let me give you another little short story that I enjoyed here. Um, Steve, you're you're a teacher, right? You're teaching sixth to eighth grade. they're, They're very playful. If they find a weakness on you, they have no problem poking it and, and making fun of it. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, you know, you play along with it a little bit, you know, you're a big guy. Yeah. You know, unless it, you know, it's too hurtful. Yeah. You know, most of the time you're like, right.
0: There's certainly know. a line between playfulness and hurtfulness and, and the 12 to 14 year olds certainly enjoy playing on that line.
1: So concrete is testing out his abilities. He, he kind of feels that he can hold his breath for an hour Underwater, they're going to um, see if you know if he tires out by swimming out to Canalita Island, Steve. There's probably a wine festival going on out there. You never know. But anyway, he's going to test this out. And there's some kids who have a boat. They're kind of making fun of him. He's a big guy. And um, it just keeps going on and on and on. And he's, he's Eventually, he's like, hey, kids, you got to leave me alone. And he gets a little terse with them. But anyway, as he's swimming out to this island, he's kind of uh, feeling bad. Maybe he was too hard on the kids. And so the first thing he does when he gets to the island is he gets his um, uh, phone credit card out, Steve. And he calls the family and says, you know, listen, I, I may have been too harsh on you. I'm really sorry. The kids have already forgotten about it. You know, the, the point being is that... They enjoyed him because he's big and, and he's gregarious and fun. Hmm. But you know, you can imagine if you're trying to get something done, you just get a little, a little tired of it while you're while you're trying to work. Really? And, uh,
0: Anyway, speaking speaking as the big gregarious teacher, yes, I can understand your metaphor completely. There are moments where I, I need to, you know work on class instead of the extracurricular conversations that I enjoy with my students.
1: So this is not a superhero story. This okay. is a, this has been at times picked up with the idea of making a movie of it. But really, what it is 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 a um, sort of a diary for Paul Chadwick to explore some ideas through this big guy, um, and I, I find it charming. I find it enjoyable. Um, but really, once again, it's 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 um, something there. It's more of a, a little intellectual playfulness, a okay. um, little little study. On if this happened, you know, how would you feel?
0: I think about like every man from the 1500s and that story of the metaphor of being and and what if we were big concrete monsters and how would that play out? That's, that's very intriguing to me, that idea of the golem from Jewish folklore, the idea of creating a man and then giving him humanity and, and what would happen? I, I see some great storytelling in that.
1: I, I think you also get this insight of Hollywood. And that, mm. that's something that I, you know, I, 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 you can't, that a person's job gives you insights to a world that you may not exist in. Mm. Uh, I think that Paul Chadwick's work led him to have some insights that were shared here. Once again, is other things, he must enjoy hiking or something because there's a lot of that going on in this too. It's mm. a fantastic little book. And Pamadora talked about creating a course where she's going to be using some graphic novels. What types of stories? I think that maybe a short story from this. Once again, three or four pages, being able to go through and kind of read it. I don't know if you need to have the whole book to get mm. this idea. Um, although this would be a lovely book for a type of course like that, because I think it 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 lends to what did what did all the Sunday papers comics do. They let you escape for a little bit, and sometimes they allows you to play with ideas. The Far Side, um, Calvin and Hobbes, uh, you know, you you name uh, uh, those types of uh, you know comics. Mm-hmm. And I think that you would you would, you would work out real well and kind of have a good time there.
0: Yeah, I love the short story genre and the very, very short stories that you're talking about in the comic strips. There's some very tight storytelling that has to be told there. And I, I think that that's what you're telling us about with Concrete here. I'll give
1: you one last one that's kind of interesting. Uh, there is the idea that you die and your heaven just a bunch of heads. And so you're 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 a head, you're floating around with a whole bunch of heads. And okay. you get to meet people and you get to tell them your story. There's a few mm. stories that ex- get explored like that. And mm. as you're telling the story, you're kind of floating away from the person. So you only get so much of the story. Maybe you get the whole thing. Mm. But anyway, it's just a way of, of kind of explaining an idea, an event that happened, and then sort of um, kind of thinking about it afterwards. I, I, I find Chadwick to be a very gifted storyteller.
0: It's an interesting metaphor for storytelling and for relationships, and and that humanity of how we communicate with each other. I like it. That's concrete. The complete short stories, nineteen eighty six to nineteen eighty nine, by Paul Chadwick. Scroll with it. Or scroll with it. There's plenty of things happening in the world this week. Chip, please explain what's happening in the world, because I have paid zero attention to the news this week. Well, this is a a, a big news
1: for coronavirus. So I don't know if you know this, Steve, but there was a pandemic that happened. I I recall that, yes. That's still going on in China and still kind of, you've got a friend here and there that will have some form of coronavirus uh, and have to miss work for a week or so. Mm-hmm. But, but anyway, uh, Johns Hopkins University was collecting data uh, from the beginning, and as of March tenth of this year, they stopped collecting data. They used mm-hmm. to release a a daily report and also had a video that would be released on YouTube that would show coronavirus. Well, guess what? After three years, they stopped tracking.
0: Mm. So it's not over. the The pandemic has not been removed from our society it's still happening but we've gotten to a point that we hope we would get to where we can live with this virus
1: yep so it attract cases deaths vaccines testing and demographics and um as of right now that's that's stopped
0: and uh
1: thank you johns hopkins university
0: yeah, it's it's been a long three years. I'll tell you that much. The three-year anniversary of Sandwiches at Irregular Hours, our show that we started because of the pandemic, uh, just came up this week. And all of the other three-year anniversaries of things. So let's bring up Elon Musk
1: also, because Elon Musk did buy Twitter. And one of the reasons why he brought Twitter was because he felt that they were shutting down dissenting voices. Mm-hmm. And they have allowed researchers into the private company emails. And what they have confirmed is yes. Yes, they have. Mm -hmm. Um, The previous leadership of Twitter um, made a partnership with Stanford University researchers and government-funded organizations, and they've basically truly policed information. So dissenting information, challenging information to an official narrative, that they confirmed that that actually happened. And that's a very interesting um, take because, Steve, we have newspapers in the United States. We mm-hmm. have 24-hour news. And what we want from our news and from our researchers and from the people who are supporting um, a society is freedom of information. And what we don't want is just to give the company line. The company line would be what the government is telling us. Mm. So this is really interesting. This was um, released under the Freedom of Information Act. Project Veritas was the, the group that kind of um, brought this information out. And it just seems that we are confirming that, um, yeah, people were being silenced. And information that in a free society that should have been allowed to exist, was being silenced.
0: And the question of how the media shares information and how a, a system like Twitter and social media gets information out there is a, is a huge question that we still are, we have no answers yet.
1: Well, and, and there's a real challenge to what we're dealing with. There's no doubt that we didn't have the best information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but when, when the uh, center, uh, CDC comes out and they say, hey, lots of people are going to die, um, most mayors, most school boards, most groups out there, they, they're they just not – they're not prepared to they, – they can take the information that's given and make policy based on mm-hmm. this. Hey, a bunch of people are going to die. Protect them.
2: We they're need not, to act.
1: Yeah. Okay, so that's not – they're not putting together that information. Right. They are reacting to what's being told you. Hey, there's going to be, here in Ukraine, there's bombs coming to your building. Get out.
0: You need Just to get act. out. Okay. Mm-hmm. So
1: that is um initial. We, we knew the information was going to be revised, be updated, could be wrong. Any number of things. Any model could be wrong.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But... At the time, there's only so much you can do with that. Here's the real challenge that Twitter is a place where, you know, certainly any negative thing you could possibly imagine can be released. Mm -hmm. But when we have learned people, dissenting people that have expertise on something challenging the narrative, and they're being immediately quieted and, and not not allowed to present their information and defend a position or challenge the information. That seems to be tough. And when our media certainly is not challenging any information,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that's also cha- that's also tough. We live in a free society. This is very important. Um, obviously, it was so important that Elon Musk bought Twitter. Which is just a place to, I don't know, sound off about anything.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You can follow the latest ball game, or some you know book Recipes, or whatever it is, whatever anything. Um, but you know, once again, it, we we want to be able to have a place where information can be shared.
0: And this is a conversation that we've had for a long time, talking about investigative journalism, that idea of where are those journalists who are finding these truths? Well, the real
1: challenge you can imagine right now is running a newspaper. I mean, Mm -hmm. how do you pay for this? And when I say newspaper, it could be a news organization. It could be your 24-hour news. You know, we've got two propaganda machines, CNN and Fox, you know, basically bashing parties as as if that's the issue. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have a bulletin board you go through and you can wade through whatever stuff you want to. There's actually a study saying that Google is losing its ability to give information because if you ask for something, you get a page or two of ads before you mm-hmm. get to what you need. Mm-hmm. And that Reddit is becoming the default search place if you wanted to solve something. How do I change my oil of my car? You know, you know. how do I buy a house? Many of those things can be solved through Reddit and mm-hmm. through their, their um, how they kind of put things together. Regardless, this is really challenging because, once again, we crave information. We know what the problem is when we look at a country like Russia or China on how they censor their information. Mm-hmm. With the United States, we, we we talk about a freedom to kind of express yourself. Mm-hmm. And what we've learned recently is that people have a very difficult time allowing people who are not them to express themselves. So okay. this is this is something to follow and something that needs to be out there. Because let's get to our next little story here. Um we're learning that Pfizer and the C D C withheld evidence that um, some heart ailments were Mm -hmm. coming from the COVID shots. And once again, it was a miracle that we had companies within a year be able to produce a vaccine. Mm -hmm. That is the most incredible thing that we could ever imagine. Um, You know, we are, you know, things that used to take years and years and years, we're doing it. Well, the unintended consequences, and that I'm sure that, that no one sat down and said this is what we want to have happen, mm-hmm. but it seems like there is a um, uh, a real challenge with this. And once again, this was um, Project Veritas kind of uh, helping to release those information. I think that historically we'll look back and we'll say our models were really, really wrong. Maybe that the reaction was. Can be more challenged than what we did and that um, we may have some challenges with some of the vaccines. Um, But I think that if you were in the time and you were in the leadership at that time, you are making decisions on stuff you don't have perfect information on.
0: Which you never do. We've, we've talked about this many times. You never have perfect information. You only have to act upon the knowledge that you have.
1: Yeah, and, and the knowledge that was given to a lot of leaders at that time were lots and lots of people are going to die.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and if you're a person who works with humans, teachers, me, I work with humans, uh, especially older pe- people at risk, then, you know, having your vaccine was very, very important. My hope is that whatever challenges that were created by these vaccines, we'll be able to find a way to work with them. And um, so the people have long and healthy lives. That was the hope initially anyway, Mm -hmm. is that, Steve, we we know so many people who died, Mm -hmm. people we worked with who are no longer here. Mm -hmm. And um, nobody... One of your first obligations in a person is a free society is to do no harm, mm-hmm. and bringing sickness to another group and watching other people die is doing harm. So we want to protect ourselves from that. But it's once again, we're as information gets reviewed over time, we're going to find out there were a lot of mistakes being made.
0: But we had to react. We had to do something. I think if we did nothing, it would have been worse. I think that that's what history will will show. I I hope. That's my hope. That's speculation.
2: Yeah.
1: But we we do have, that is going on right now in China because their vaccine, which they did not use American vaccines, uh, or I shouldn't say Western design vaccines, let's use that word better, um, they are now opening their society up and they are basically rifling through covid Hmm. There are going to be a lot of dead people.
0: The pandemic has been a huge challenge, uh, acting or not acting. No, I don't know that anybody has enough information to solve any of it, but we have to, I feel like we have to do something. So I, I think that's the best choice in all of this. Getting information is, is the difficult part. The social media platforms certainly uh, don't always give us all the right information. Maybe if we paid them more, we would get better information.
1: Well, interestingly enough, Steve, there's a company called Meta and most mm-hmm. people don't even know what Meta is. Is it what? like Alphabet? Uh, who knows? Yes. Most people <laughs> don't know what Alphabet is either. But anyway, uh, Facebook and Instagram people do are aware of, hey, guess what? You can get verified for eleven ninety nine a month if you wanted to use you know, through the web, or fifteen dollars a month, fourteen ninety nine a month for your mobile phone. Uh-huh. You can be verified, Steve, so that you can, you know, when when you're posting on Facebook or Instagram, they know that you're a real person. And mm-hmm. you, and by the way, when you go through that verification process and you submit your papers. You submit your uh, ID and all sorts of things to mm-hmm. be verified. If you change your picture, you get to do it all over again, Steve.
0: Hmm. Yeah, verifying and getting that that blue check mark on Twitter. Uh, I don't see the value in that. I don't see the value in being somehow validated on Facebook and Instagram through this system? I mean, does I, I, that mean all of my ideas are true? Does that mean all of my statements are factual? No, it certainly but, doesn't.
1: But you're not necessarily speaking as a expert on something. You know, you're not the President of the United States tw- tweeting. You're, we're not uh, Coca-Cola t- tweeting what, what, or Wendy's tweeting whatever they would need to do that anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, Certainly someone who has um, a lot to lose um by not being validated maybe this could be the case um, but you know most of the time it's not a big deal I mean I don't know why too much scrolling would need to be validated right okay we're talking but, about influence. But, but if you're Walmart maybe you you want to be mm-hmm. okay but you know this idea that there is a wait list Steve you can sign up for a wait list. So they can tell you when you can start paying. Something tells me that that queue is not going to be very long. And the second part is something tells me that if you get on that wait list, immediately you're bumped to the front. So, mm. <laughs> I mean, I don't do, do, you, do you see social media being worth, you know, 15 bucks a month to you to be on Facebook, Steve?
0: For me personally, no, it, it is not worth $15 a month to be on Facebook, I see the influence of, you know, you said the president and Wendy's and Coca-Cola, those corporations and those people who have influence, maybe this is their megaphone to send out their message, but there's got to be a better way than social media. Well, in the old days, you know,
1: when we had television, Steve, they sold advertising. And the advertising would show up. Now, they have weaponized that advertising mm-hmm. to you, and they've sent you down these funnels of uh, of whatever your interest is. Mm-hmm. But the reality is it must not be paying for the social media. And it's also become so noisy. I mean, my goodness, we talk about YouTube views. You, know, you sit through the two 15-second commercials, to get you your minute-long um, video that may or may not be of interest, you know
0: mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yes, I do.
1: So yeah. it is th- between stuff like that, and you go to a a, a, a I don't know an app, and all of it is is just tracking and all this other stuff. Yeah, you know, there's some pretty negative parts to it. The beauty of it is is that it has become your yellow pages. I mean, Steve, mm-hmm. how do you look up phone numbers now? How do you Um, look up reviews? I mean, all these other things. These apps have made getting to stuff so
0: easy. The community building aspect of it is positive, I think, most of the time. We are building a community. We are sharing our ideas. But there's certainly some negatives to that community, to having that megaphone. Maybe your your ideas are not valid. Maybe your ideas are angry. Maybe your ideas are hurtful. And finding the community and all of the information that you need, that's difficult.
1: Yeah, You know what's not difficult, Steve, is putting together a group of people and creating that community and then going on a quest together.
0: It's it's sometimes very difficult, but we're going to make it easy for you this weekend. It's Gary Khan up in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Gary Gygax, the creator of Dungeons & Dragons in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, is honored once again the 15th annual Gary Khan. Go and be a part of the Dungeons & Dragons role-playing community.
1: Do a little role-playing. Is that what we're saying, Steve? I think that's what you're saying, yes. Yeah, people enjoy role-playing, Steve. By the way, it's March 23rd to March 26th, and if you go and you find your group you know, to role-play with, you can go the following week, you can see the Dungeons & Dragons movie that's coming out. Isn't that amazing?
0: That is amazing. I do look forward to the Dungeons and Dragons movie. I have heard some of the people in the community are very excited for it, and many are very trepidatious. The, the idea of making Dungeons and Dragons into a, a cartoon and a book and a movie, uh, it's been done before to varying degrees of success. Well,
1: maybe they enjoy the role-playing part, Steve.
0: <laughs> it's the part that you're focused on, Chip. I got it. We heard you. I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Probably if we come back next week, Steve. (laughs) We don't know if we have the good information. That's the whole story of the the show today. We'll find out. Maybe we'll get verified. (laughs) Probably not. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. That's how we build our community. Go to our website, too much Send us an email, too much scrolling at gmail.com. We're on all of those uh unverified social medias, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube, where you can see all the commercials. Or you can ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Chip Essence Blow. We'll see you in the future.